going to, to a familiar passage, also quite the vivid passage. Try to get the picture, I guess, of what's going on in this vision given to the prophet Ezekiel. Scripture says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he carried me out in the spirit of the Lord. And he set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. He caused me to pass by them round about, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. And again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. And so after the instructions, Ezekiel does what he's told. Verse 7, he prophesies. As I was commanded, he said, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking. And the bones, they came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. No breath. And then said, then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. If you would lay your Bibles down or your device and just lift your hands one more time, and can we all lift our voice? I'm going to lay the microphone down. I'm going to pray with you. Let's lift our voice and ask the Lord to speak to us today. to your people, Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus, and everybody say amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I have heard from time to time that women tend to ask more questions than men. Now, I am outnumbered three to one in my home, female to male. I'm married, have two daughters, love my family very much, but even my wife will attest to the fact that having two little girls, there's a lot of questions that fly around our home. In the car, of course, the age-old question, are we there yet? The struggle is real. Pray for us. And it's not just once, it's many, many times over. But, uh, you know, interacting with your spouse, I, I find that uh, you know, uh, men aren't as inquisitive as women can be, and we're simple creatures, really. All the wives say amen. Uh, just this past week, um, you know, I, I wasn't sure that I should tell this story, but I figured it was cheaper than therapy, so here we go. So this past week, um, it was a Friday, and, and uh, my wife and I were chatting about what we were going to do for supper, of course, it's prayer night, and so time is of the essence on a Friday afternoon, and so 
we decided that we were going to uh, pick up supper, and so she asked me to get a chicken, uh, a rotisserie one, not a live one. That would take too long. So get a rotisserie chicken from the store, and uh, I think maybe that came up in conversation, but anyway, I said, you know, let me know what else you need. There was a list, and uh, I wanted to be the, a good husband, and so I went and I got everything on the list, and so I'm, I'm walking through the store. I'm scanning the list and going to this department and that department. And one by one, I get the items. And uh, I, I should add that, um, you know, I, I, I don't really, I didn't remember the chicken. And I walk in the door and she said, where's the chicken? And I said, what chicken? It was in a passing conversation earlier, you have to understand and, and she said, the chicken. I said to get a chicken for supper. And I said, it wasn't on the list. So I pull out my phone. And I said, look at this. No chicken on the list. She said, read the message just above that one. And it said, uh, I think we should get a chicken for supper. I said, then why didn't you put it in the list? So I went back to the store and got a chicken, or I tried to get a chicken. They were sold out. Yeah. Can you pick up a chicken? Where's the chicken? Women like to ask questions, but again, I, I digress. I'm really not here to talk about uh, marital uh, nuances, but I'd like to talk to you about God a little bit and the fact that God likes to ask questions. In his book, uh, Jesus is the Question, a man by the name of Martin B. Copenhaver points out the fact that Jesus was far more likely to ask a question than give an answer in any given interaction. We love to sing the song. We've sang it over the years. Jesus is the answer for the world today, right? You know the song? Well, this, this man, he likes to, he, he seeks to flip the coin and give us a, a new perspective, a different perspective on Jesus and the fact that he actually asks more questions than he gives answers. He says this, contrary to some common assumptions, Jesus is not the ultimate answer man, but more like the great questioner. In the Gospels, Jesus asks more than, more, uh, many more questions than he answers. To be precise, Jesus asks 307 questions. He is asked 183 of which he only answers three. Asking questions was central to Jesus' life and teachings. In fact, for every question that he answers directly, he asks literally a hundred. Somebody say, Jesus likes to ask questions. Questions like, what will it profit a man if he gain the whole world but lose his soul? Questions like the one he asked to his disciples, whom do men say that I am? And then a more pointed question to follow up, who do you say that I am? Questions like, why do you call me Lord and not do the things that I say? Questions like, which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? And it's not just Jesus in the pages of the New Testament, but of course, the God of the Old Testament is revealed in, in the man, Christ Jesus, in the New. And so in the Old Testament, it's no surprise that we see this same pattern. Many questions asked by Jehovah throughout the ages. Questions like, where are you? When he asked Adam and Eve after they fell from grace. 
questions like the one he asked to Moses when he was calling him to lead his people out of Egypt. What is in your hand? Questions like the one he asked to Job when he was going through the midst of his trial and he was questioning God's faithfulness and God asked the question, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Questions like the one he spoke to the prophet Isaiah, who will go for us? Whom shall I send? There are many famous questions in the pages of Scripture. And, and if Jesus asked 307 in the New Testament alone, we could be here a while. So I won't read all of them. But tonight I want to focus on just one question. A famous question. And one that holds spiritual relevance for us today. In the opening passage from Ezekiel 37, we see that, that this passage is as much about the faith of God's people as it is about God's ability. We know how God performed the miraculous amongst the dry bones, but really that's not really the point of the passage in my opinion. To me, this is about Ezekiel's faith and the faith of God's people that allows God to work. And it all hinges on one question, the only question in this passage, in fact. Son of man, can these bones live? Which causes me to ask a question of my own. And that is that why does God, the omniscient, all-knowing one, ask questions anyway? God doesn't need an answer. He knows the answer. He knows all the answers. And it brings me to the conclusion that God only asks a question when he wants us to discover the answer. A question from God is him seeking to probe us so that we might experience revelation in him. Can these bones live? Man of God, Ezekiel, can dead things come to life? Can dry, barren wastelands once again become fruitful? And Ezekiel answers the only way he knows how. Thou knowest God. But Ezekiel is about to learn the answer as well. And we are along for the ride as we read through the passage. Now this entire vision really isn't about a literal valley full of literal dry bones. Quite the contrary. The first 10 verses, they're really just this picture painted, a metaphor, a symbol, really, of God's people in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel. And we don't have to guess that. It's, it's in the verses that, that follow after verse 10. Ezekiel 37, 11 says, Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones, they are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, my people Israel, they say, our bones are dried, and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. I think it's true and perhaps obvious that every once in a while, the people of God can find themselves in a place where they struggle to believe that God is going to come good on His promise. The dry bones in the vision, they were really a picture of how God's people had become Hopeless. The scripture says our bones are dried and our hope is lost. That's the state of the nation at this time in history. They're in exile and the prophet Ezekiel had seen it happen. He was a prophet during this time when, when Judah was taken into Babylonian captivity. And so everything Ezekiel experiences in the vision in the first ten verses, it was really just practice for how God wanted Ezekiel to minister to the literal people of God, the nation of Israel. 
And so here's the application. The first 10 verses, it's practice. Here's the application, verse 12. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, not to the vision of the dry bones, but to my people that have lost hope and they feel like dry bones. Prophesy to them, thus saith the Lord God, behold my people, I will open your graves and I'm going to cause you to come up out of your graves and I'm going to bring you back into the land of Israel. And you're going to know that I'm the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. And here's the culmination. And I'm going to put my spirit in you, and you shall live. I'm going to put my spirit in you, and ye shall live. And I'll place you in your own land. And then shall you know that I, the Lord, have spoken it. When I perform my word, you'll know that what I spoke was true, saith the Lord. And this is not just a several thousand year old word from God for his chosen people, the nation of Israel. But it is a word for us today, for whosoever will in the here and now. There is a spiritual application and relevance in the 21st century for the people of God. For everybody that is lost and for those that are without hope. Everybody who is dry and barren spiritually. Those who maybe have struggled to believe the promise of God that it's for you. Hear the word of the Lord. God wants us to discover the answer to this question for ourselves. Can these bones live? And God says, live. I'm going to bring you out of your graves, people of God. I'm going to put my spirit in you. And by my doing that, you shall live. Can these bones live? God so wants us to know the answer for ourselves, that life is available in him. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And it's all by the working of his spirit. How many know what it is to be filled with the precious, glorious gift of the Holy Ghost? Anybody thankful that God at one point in your life intersected your life and poured out his spirit in you? Can we just thank God for a moment? Jesus, we worship you. Thank you, God. Dry bones can live. Throughout Scripture, the breath of God, or the wind at various times, it's a symbol of the Spirit of God. In the Hebrew language, in the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word ruach, and it means breath. In creation, God's Spirit, the ruach, it, it moved upon the face of the deep. And as that breath of God, as that ruach of God moved upon the chaos and the disorder, it brought life from darkness. In John 3, verse 8, in the New Testament, Jesus compares the Spirit to the wind that blows. He said to Nicodemus, the wind blows wherever it wants, where it listeth. And you hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it's coming from and where it's going. The Spirit of God is like the wind. You can feel it moving, but you can't grasp it literally. It's like the wind. And so is everyone that is born of the Spirit, Jesus said. And when God made man in creation... It was the breath of God, so we say the breath, that entered into his body that brought life into the, into the inanimate frame of Adam. Genesis 2 and 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and, and he breathed into his nostrils. Somebody say it. The breath of life. Somebody say the breath of life. 
and man became a living soul. But you know the story how Adam and Eve, they fall from grace, they eat of the tree, and, and their sin brought death, and their sin brought separation. It's interesting, you read in Genesis 3 and 8, after they fall, the scripture uses the phrase, and we're familiar with it perhaps, how they met with God in the cool of the day. Have you heard that phrase before? They met with God in the cool of the day. That was their connection point on a daily, on a daily basis with their creator. But those three words, in the cool, it's ruach. It's breath, it's breeze, it's wind. And so Adam and Eve, they would meet God in the cool of the day. They, they interacted with the Ruach of God each and every day. But their sin, it brought separation. And they lost that connection with God, with His breath, with His wind, with His spirit. Until some 4,000 years on into the future. In an upper room. In a city called Jerusalem. Where 120 were filled with that same with that same breath of God as a mighty rushing wind filled the house where they were sitting. And they were all filled, the Bible says, with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Somebody say the Spirit of God. We might as well read the passage together. Acts 2 verse 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. Something that looked like the, the flickering flames of fire sat upon each of them. And the Bible says, as that wind blew, as the breath of God swept across that upper room, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, the, the Holy Spirit of God. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It reminds me of the prophet Ezekiel, how he put it. And I'm going to put my spirit in you, and you shall live. The, the connection that was lost in the garden by Adam and by Eve, it was suddenly re reborn in an upper room in Jerusalem. That same breath of God, that same wind of His Spirit, that same cool of the day, relationship with the Creator, with Jehovah, with Jesus. It began to blow in that upper room and the Spirit of God filled every single believer present. Because this is not just for a few or for the fringe. This is for whosoever will. This precious gift of the Holy Ghost that was poured out in the upper room, that Jesus preached about in the streets of Jerusalem, that many countless thousands in the New Testament era church have been filled with in the pages of your, of your Bible, that same spirit, it is for everybody, for anyone whoever's hungry for it. And by that breath, by that spirit, life is rekindled. When I read through the, the passage in Ezekiel 37 and the valley of dry bones, I see that there is this emphasis on the breath of God. And I would just like to walk through the passage again and just break it down a little bit and let the Lord move. And I pray that God would do what he did in that upper room in this room tonight and that he would pour out his spirit upon some hungry heart and I believe that he will. Ezekiel said, The hand of the Lord it was upon me. 
It carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of this valley and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them roundabout, kind of give a little tour and check out the scene a little bit. And Ezekiel, he realizes that there were very many. It was in an open valley and lo, they were very dry, which drive, it just drives the point home that this was not you know, recently deceased individuals. This was not rotting flesh on corpses. Pardon the graphic imagery. This wasn't even just bones, but this was a bunch of bones that were very dry. No skin left. No, no marrow on the inside. They were dry. They were completely barren. It was a wasteland. And as that, as the backdrop, God asks the question, one that demands an answer. Can these bones live? Can what is dry and dead and barren, can that which has been dead for a long time, can bones like that come back to life? This is, again, not something that's happened in the past few moments. These have been dead for a great length of time. And the prophet doesn't really know how to answer. He just says, thou knowest. And so he said to me, prophesy upon these bones. Get out in the middle of these bones and say unto these bones, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause, I'll cause the breath to enter into you. And what happens when the breath enters? You shall live. I'm going to cause breath to enter into you, and, and you shall live. And I'm going to lay sinews upon you, and I'll bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and I will put breath in you, and by that breath you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And so Ezekiel, being the obedient prophet that he is, he prophesied as he was commanded, and, and as he prophesied, there was a noise. So we say a noise. And behold, there was a shaking. Somebody say a shaking. And the bones came together, bone to his bone. Kind of sounds like a Pentecostal service to me, doesn't it? To you, there was a noise, there was a shaking, and things began to happen. Praise God. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above. The miraculous was taking place. Powerful things were happening in this valley of dry bones. But Ezekiel said there was no breath. There was no breath in them. I come in for a close. Music, if you would join me. So we say there was no breath. As I read through this passage, this is what comes to my mind. As I pause at this point in the narrative, it speaks to me about the general nature of faith in God. and kind of speaks to me about what Christianity in the 21st century can look like. Because as the word of the Lord was spoken by that prophet, things began to take shape among those bones. Things started to come together. And as God continued to work, you could begin to see the frames and the forms of a mighty army take shape. Now, I would, I would suggest to us tonight that there are perhaps many in Christendom, there, are, there is a number at least that 
that you can go to, that you could interact with people like this, where the word of the Lord is declared, and I thank God, anywhere the word of the Lord is declared, that's a win, that's a victory, and that's powerful because the word is anointed. And wherever the word goes, things happen. Where the word of a king is, right? The Bible says that he sent his word and healed them. His word is a a lamp and a light, and it directs us. Where the word is, there's power. The word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. There's power in the word. And when the word is preached, when the word is declared, when it's uttered prophetically, things begin to happen. When the word of God is preached and when it is applied by the souls of men, the lives of people, you will begin to see the impact of it. When the principles of the word are applied in a life, you will see things start to take shape. You follow me? There's blessing associated with obedience, whether or not you're born again. You can, you can use the word. You can even use the name. Right? In Matthew 7, there's a group of people that said, hold on, Jesus. We prophesied in your name. We did many mighty works in your name. But Jesus said to them, depart from me. I never knew you. You can use the word. You can speak the name, and things can happen. That's just the power of the Word. It's anointed. The Word of God will bless you. When you read it, when you obey it, there's a blessing associated. And so the prophet, he, he declares the Word, and the miraculous does begin to happen. But if we apply it to the here and now in the modern day, Christianity is more than just a set of rules to follow or principles to live by that will bless your life. It is that, but it is more than that. Because serving Jesus is not just about being blessed, avoiding sin, and living your best life now. The Christian life is all about the hope of eternal life. And that is only accessible by the power of His Spirit, by the breath. Because things can take shape in your life bone to bone, sinew upon sinew, and the flesh can begin to form. You see the metaphor, you see the picture here. Things can come together, but the prophet said, there's no breath in this army. We need the breath, God. We, we see your hand working. I, I see the word I'm declaring doing its work, but we're missing something. There are many people in the world today who live by the principles of God's word, and certainly they're blessed by it. You can see the impact of it in the Uh, the impact of their faith in their daily lives. Their families are blessed. Their health is blessed. Their finances, their communities, their neighbors, their children, they're blessed. You can see the impact of God's Word at work in their lives. Things like in that valley that day, things have gone from chaos, disorder, and barrenness to order, structure, and blessing. It's gone from dry bones to fitly framed soldiers, but there's still no breath. Which tells me that God can do a lot for me and I can still really not truly be alive. This is the nature of how we view the Christian experience. Certainly at this church, your leadership, 
because we pray that you not only experience God's blessing and the order and the beauty and the blessing that comes by obeying the word of the Lord. Because at the end of the day, if we obey every command and if we apply every principle that could be applied, we may move from chaos in this life to order. A place of lack to a place of blessing. From dry bones to blessing. But if we have no breath, then we have not seen the consummation of the miracle. If the breath of God, if the wind of God does not blow, then we have fallen short. We need the Spirit of God. Every believer, you need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's what takes you fully from death to life. And it's what will take you from this earthly existence to that heavenly plane. Because Paul said that if that same spirit, somebody say the spirit, the breath, the wind, if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, if it dwell in you, like Ezekiel said, I'll put my spirit in you and you shall live. If that same spirit dwell in you, it will quicken or bring to life your mortal bodies. What's he talking about? He's talking about the rapture of the church. And at that moment that Paul talked about in Thessalonians, in a moment, in a twinkling an eye, at the last trump, right? He said, we're not, we're not all going to be asleep, but we all shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. You know the passage, right? He said that this mortal must put on immortality and this corruption must put on incorruption when we're given a glorified body at the rapture of the church. And Paul said in Romans that, that it's the Spirit of God residing in you that will allow that to take place. That Spirit will quicken your mortal body at that last moment at the rapture of the church. You need the Holy Ghost. That's why Paul would say things perhaps even a little stronger, like, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. He would also say that the Holy Ghost, it's the earnest or the down payment of our inheritance. It's the foretaste of glory. The Holy Ghost in you is the precursor to eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ in a land called heaven. You need the Holy Ghost if you want to leave this corruptible plane and enter into that perfect plane in glory land with Jesus Christ, with all the saints of ages past. I want to go. But we need the breath of God to blow and to flow among us. If we have not the breath, we have not seen the consummation of the miracle. We need the breath of God. And so God spoke to the prophet. I'm almost done. And he said, you've prophesied to the bones, but it's time to shift your focus. The word has done its work. The bones have come together. The soldiers are fitly framed. We're ready for the greatest miracle. And that is for the breath to enter into these lifeless frames. And so he said, don't prophesy to the bones anymore. Verse 9, prophesy to the wind. You turn your attention from, from ministering to the people and 
And, and we can preach the word and we can teach principles. And I thank God for every Sunday school class and every youth service. And I thank God for everybody that has ever stood behind this pulpit and communicated the word of God to us so that we can understand it and live it and apply it. I thank God for that, don't you? But at some point, we must turn our, our focus from, from this plane. And I know the word is powerful and it's spiritual. I'm not trying to say it's not. But, but we turn our attention from speaking the word this way and we call upon the wind. We begin to prophesy to the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, to the spirit of God, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. I've done what I can do. And the miraculous has taken place, but we need the greatest miracle. We need the Spirit of God to blow across these people. We need the Spirit of God to bring this army to life so that we can do something in our day. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood up on their feet, an exceeding great army. As you stand with me in this place, an exceeding great army. This is what I feel the Lord led me to say and to get us to do before we go home tonight. To turn our attention from just this way. I thank God for how we live blessed lives. I thank God for His favor. I thank God for His mercies new every morning. But like never before, certainly in this godless age we live in, we must never forget to lift our eyes and to prophesy to the wind, to call upon the Spirit of God to reign and to rule among us, to blow across this room like it blew across that room, that upper room 2,000 years ago. We need the breath. Let us not be like anybody else that is satisfied with blessings. We need the breath of God. Let us not be satisfied with just His favor. We need the Spirit of God to blow. In the name of Jesus, can you lift your hands and can you lift your voice? And if that is your heart's cry, can we begin to pray? Can we begin to prophesy to the winds? Can we begin to prophesy and call upon the breath of God? Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Do you feel that undercurrent of the Spirit of God just trying to break forth in this room tonight? Can we just kind of yield to that a little bit? Just lift your voice in this atmosphere. Oh, come, Spirit of God. Come, Spirit of God. Flow in this place. a half ago we were in a youth service we held a prayer meeting 
I challenged our students. I said, I want you to pray for something that feels impossible to you, that is beyond your ability to perform it. I stood there at the end of that prayer meeting and I said, to wonderful students of our church, I said, it's been a while, it's been a long time, frankly, since God filled somebody with the Holy Ghost in this chapel. They've received it at events and on Sundays and whatever, but it's been a while since it's happened here. I said, we we need to see the Spirit of God poured out in this place. It's my desire as your leader, I said, for the Holy Ghost to fill somebody in this chapel. I can't do that, but I know where to call. I call upon the wind. I call upon His Spirit. I want to end this service this way. I know we're under restrictions to a certain degree, but I don't want to restrict what God wants to do. If you are in this place and you have never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, I'm going to invite you to come around this altar in a few moments. and We have people that are going to come at the same time so you're not singled out. When God fills somebody with the gift of the Holy Ghost for the very first time with His Spirit, Holy Ghost is a King James word, There's a sign that accompanies that so that you know that the work has been performed. It happened in Acts chapter 2, the very first day of church history. They were all filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and they spake with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. It happened again in Acts chapter 10. Acts 10, 46, Cornelius and his household, they're Gentiles, they're not even Jewish people. Up to this point, only Jews had received the Spirit. But in Acts 10, 46, the way that the Jews knew that the Gentiles received the Spirit, for they heard them speak with with tongues. Acts 19, verse 6, in this passage, the Apostle Paul comes across these believers, and he asks them a very pointed question. The first thing he asks them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, we don't even know what you're talking about, Paul. And he said, okay, how were you baptized? Come to find out, they weren't baptized in Jesus' name, so Paul did what any self-respecting minister would do. He rebaptizes them in the only saving name of Jesus, and he lays his hands on them. And the Bible says in verse 6 that they were, all, they were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. They spake with tongues, and they prophesied. And so when God pours out his Spirit, There's nowhere in Scripture where God tells us that that pattern changed. And so we still expect to hear that sound and to see that sign in the 21st century. When God fills you with His Spirit, you will speak in a heavenly language as the Holy Ghost gives you the utterance, gives you the ability. So I want to invite somebody. I'm not intimidated in the least. I know that There's maybe some caution, and that's fine. But if you would like to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost in your life, or if maybe it's been a long time, many years perhaps, and you'd like to be refilled with the gift of the Holy Ghost tonight, I invite you to come to this altar to take a step. And just so that we can have some folks to pray with, get somebody in your bubble, and can you bring them with you tonight? And let's all end around this altar area, and we're going to pray and just let the wind of God, the breath of God, begin to blow across this place. In an effort to create an atmosphere for those who are coming to God right now, can we just, church family, can we begin to do what Ezekiel did and begin to prophesy to the wind and begin to call upon the Spirit of God that He might be poured out in this place tonight?
If you all would just begin to close your eyes, lift your hands, lift your voice. And I'm inviting you right now, come around this front. We want to pray with you that you receive the greatest gift and experience the greatest miracle. God wants to pour out his spirit today. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. As they sing, church family, why don't we lift our voice with a great roar tonight. In the name of Jesus. 